Conference. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is in the city of Jerusalem on this Friday here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom from the holy city and the holy state country. And it's a gorgeous day in Jerusalem. Many tourists here. I'm here for Bar Mitzvah, the Jason family from Westchester, for those who know them, and for other, uh, for many meetings and other things. Uh, so business goes on as usual, despite the summer lull in, uh, in Israeli politics. Do you know, I don't even remember if this came up during a prior weekly update or not, do you know there was a day in August um, that ended up being the most the highest number of people to walk into Ben Gurion Airport in its history. Right. Pretty amazing, right. huh? It's amazing, and uh, almost every day that Ben Gurion is full, the number of flights from all the airlines and the increasing number of flights coming from different countries are, thank God, full. So tourism is doing relatively well. It drops off after the summer, so those who want a good bargain should come here between Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, and certainly for Sukkot if they can, and then the months afterwards, usually there's a drop, so it's a great time to come. You don't have lines. You can see all of Israel in great weather uh, and enjoy it. It's pretty amazing, and uh, we, as you know, we landed uh, just after Tisha B'Av, uh, two trips ago in Israel, and I'm saying to myself, what on earth? <laughs> How is it possible there's so many people in this airport on a day like today? But it seems like it's just a daily occurrence. It's pretty amazing. We've got to keep that in mind. And the number of non-Jews traveling to Israel, not this is, this is not a knock on the Jewish community. I'm trying to uh, make a point. The number of non-Jews traveling to Israel is staggering. It is unbelievable how many people around the world are using Israel as a tourist spot these days. Really and remarkable. even conferences of African Christian leaders that I saw here of others. Uh, uh, Governor Brownback from Kansas is here with a group, uh, and these are just the ones that I have run into, but there are many here, and it's uh, it's absolutely true that they're discovering Israel, and they're coming, and they come again. And uh, I also want to congratulate you on doing the show next week from uh, Houston. I think it's a tragedy that people really don't know the depth. Uh, my daughters have friends there. They sent pictures that are unbelievable of the water at uh, coming up to the street, the uh, street lights, to the those traffic signals in places. It's just uh, a very broad uh, damage and devastation to, to the Jewish community and to the general community. It, Make sure you pack a bathing suit. <laughs> yeah, at least boots, if not the and bathing goggles. suit. The, um, and goggles. Uh, first of all, I thank you for that. Um, Jewish Unity Initiative lives in this, in, in this upcoming brand new season of the Nachum Segal Network, thank God. But as you know, one of our staff members, Yoni Pollock, is from Houston. You've met him, and he's from Houston. And we have pictures of his family being rescued in boats, and he'll be heading down there uh, Sunday to, to assist him in any which way possible. And that's just one little, one very tiny piece to this entire story, because as you just indicated, it's in the tens and hundreds of thousands of people who are affected, actually more like millions. But people ask me to ask you about your reaction to all of this. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what unique reaction you'd have to the situation other than what you just said now. I mean, it, it is noteworthy, thank God, that again, Israel, in, in a couple of different ways, has responded, sending teams of, of those who are necessary down there on the ground to help out. And, and that you know, at, at this point, it's like <laughs> there's nothing special about it because it seems to happen during every natural disaster around the world that Israelis are responding and coming from the Holy Land. 
Yes, but it's not something that gets uh, noticed. And I, I don't think it's only because it's routine, but because it's Israel that they don't take note of the fact that they have first responders, people who have experience in dealing with these uh, circumstances and others uh, coming to Israel, that the story is beginning to get out minimally about how much Israelis, and I mean beyond the army, which not only uh, is taking in and going across the border to rescue people, to take them to hospitals in Israel, where more than 3,000 have been treated for free, some involving very expensive maneuvers, hospitals brought the financial crisis position because of the amount of money that's entailed. And in addition, Israelis have contributed $32 million to provide aid to Palestinian villages near the border and to provide assistance, hundreds of pallets of drugs and food and and immense quantities of stuff. And six million of it came from the IDF, but the rest just from individuals and foundations and stuff here in Israel. This is a, a, a truly remarkable story. I know that uh, Conan O'Brien is in Israel, and he suggested that the, the doctors working there should get the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. The Nobel Prize. Good Pro- idea. I don't know what maybe. Good idea. You know, and the truth is, that is exactly right. If it had been any other country, there would have been no question about the kind of proposal. And, and that the IDF itself, how young people risk their lives to go across to take Syrian children and adults and to bring them into Israel and to take them back and escort them back into Syria afterwards. And the... You know, the lack of recognition of this and the lack of appreciation. I mean, where's all of the civilized world? Had they responded similarly, you might have saved a lot of lives and the situation been different. And these communities, the villages now, say that they own, they owe their existence now to Israel, that they were the ones who, who came forward and helped them. And at the same time, we see that now the Iranians are going to be within five miles of the Syrian border with Israel. And the, at least according to some reports in, in Arab sources, and uh, that the, the, you know, the Iranians have 70,000 troops directly and indirectly under their control in, in Syria, that they're expanding their footprint. There's actually even conflicts now between them and the U.S. troops uh, um, about control of, of points on the Syrian Iraqi border, which they want in order to smuggle in their manpower and their uh, weapons and have free crossing. And the U.S. is seeking to control it to be able to stop uh, the flow of weapons, especially uh, that end up going all the way up to the north, to, to Beirut, to Hezbollah. And the, 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 the um, level of involvement now of countries of Turkey, Turkey, Iran, and, and Iran seeming to be working together, though there's no basis for that to continue. I mean, at some point their interests are going to diverge or already diverge. But the the fact is that we're seeing Iran move more and more into control. And think of what the crisis will be then as they bring people from Afghanistan and Iraq, Shiites, to repopulate areas that they stripped of the Sunni populations. And uh, flying in violation of their agreements, using their civilian aircraft to fly soldiers in, weapons in. They they are building facilities in in uh, Iran in Syria for weapons and and perhaps missile production, as well as in Lebanon. So Iran is moving all the time and and will create a circumstance that will be far more challenging than what we have known. And the Iranian just appointed a new defense minister, and he asserted, you know, his support for the... He does not come... First one who didn't come from the Iran Revolutionary Guard, but asserted his support for al-Quds, for Soleimani, 
for the missile program, said we're going to restore the um, and the resistance front, and everything that one would have uh, hoped right. would not be said at this point is being asserted by by them. On, on the other point regarding the weapons, how effective is Israel when it comes to deflecting the weapons away from the north? Well, the fact is that if Hezbollah has 150,000 missiles or 120,000 missiles, says that it's almost impossible to prevent everything. They have acknowledged at least 100 strikes against convoys. The U.S., by the way, this week bombed the convoy of ISIS moving from the Lebanon border into Syria and as a result of a deal with Hezbollah, between Hezbollah and the ISIS forces, which uh, gained them more credibility in Lebanon, but at the same time resentment because they felt that these negotiations should be done by the Lebanese government, not by uh, uh, Hezbollah. But and and then, as I said, U.S. hit uh, two air. There were two airstrikes against these uh, 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 convoys. But Iran is moving ahead. Israel can't be on the ground, so that they can monitor and hit individual shipments. But if they build the, the facility, so all you're going to have is the raw materials going north, and they will be assembled into missiles either in Lebanon. Or if they're done in Syria, that too will make it more difficult, not impossible, to uh, to prevent the, the shipments. And, and that's why that transnational highway that I've been talking about for so long and the Shiite crescent from, Tur- from Tehran through Iraq, through Syria, through Lebanon, to the Mediterranean is such a, a vital threat to America's interests, Western interests, the interests of the other countries in the region, and certainly to Israel. Where do, where are those American forces that end up uh, bombing and derailing these armed shipments? Where are they stationed? Where are they? Where are they embedded in the Israeli well, army? Where are they? No, no, no. They come from. Well, the airstrikes can come from Qatar and from um, air bases in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and come from off ships. But they primarily come from our bases in the in the Persian Gulf. They um, we have very few troops on the ground. We have advisors. We have some troops who are who right. are there. The ones I talked about are in Southeast Syria, where they're fighting you know to maintain the border crossings. Uh, they are mostly there to support the Kurds, for instance, and which gets Turkey angry. Uh, and they're there to support some of the. Uh, you know, anti-Assad forces, but the role has been uh, more limited. Now, these airstrikes, I think, are a very important sign if America is going to take a more decisive stand to try and contain uh, Iran's work, and I think Russia will will also want to do that. Iran uh, is is sending reinforcements to the the, uh, confliction zones. Those are the safe zones, whatever. they, They have different names for it. In Southeast Syria, but they're they're looking to to fill the void wherever wherever they can, and um, I think that the the uh, you know proposals now that we're seeing about uh, various approaches to this are are really only going to enshrine the role of uh, uh, of Iran, and then they're seeing also that they can stand up to the West. They refused this week to allow inspections right to the you know uh, from the IEA. Uh, of their nuclear site, something that Keith Haley spoke about very effectively, uh, and about Lebanon also this week. Uh, and then the French are proposing talks to deal with Iran post JCPOA. 
Well, this is a, then an acknowledgement that we're going to allow them to go through with it despite the violations. The president has to make a decision soon whether to certify or not, and the implications of uh, either decision is, uh, are serious and are being weighed, I assume, now by the, within the administration. There are people who you know support either approach or and will try to justify it uh, based on America's interest and what the long-term prospects will be if we allow Iran then claim that they're not bound by the agreement anymore. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSegal.com, on the NahumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honeline is in Jerusalem. By the way, I'm just curious, could you arrange any meetings for this week? Is everyone is, is Are all government officials out of the country on vacation, or there are still people around that you can meet with? No, absolutely. There are plenty of people around. There are few people who are out of the country. But I have to say, I have a full schedule of meetings uh, for every day that I'm here. And the other thing is, you know, on this point with Iran, and you just went through the the nuclear deal, Nikki Haley's reaction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those who read David Sanger and Rick Gladstone in the New York Times uh, are aware of the fact that the UN Monitor has said that Iran is complying with the nuclear deal. And uh, right. <laughs> I, 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 if that's true, and if the United States government, you know, believes that report then there's really no no question the president would go ahead and, uh, and what is it called, reconfirm the agreement? Well, there's two, there are two parts, recertify, uh, right. but there are two parts to it. One is whether the spirit in the letter, how do you judge the uh, ballistic missile program or their aggressiveness in Syria or their uh, other activities and certainly the support for terrorism, and does that... Uh, uh, allow him to say that that, that this uh, that America's national interest, which is really what you weigh, is it's that it's a national security waiver that it, it, it endangers it. The quarterly report that you refer to that was released uh, yesterday uh, by the IEA said that uh, now after the two years, uh, the Iran supply and enrichment levels of uranium fuel were within the allowed limits of the agreement. And uh, the supply of heavy water was also within limits, even though they say that they are reconstructing the Iraq nuke, heavy water nuclear reactor. They said that they can ramp up in five days to 20% enrichment, which is enough for a bomb. But more than that, if you look at their activities on the ground, in the region, beyond the region, this is also a consideration. And, and I think that the new sanctions work, have an impact, if they've done right, especially in, uh, if we can get the Europeans to go along with some, but they seem to be hell-bent on allowing and, again, closing their eyes to all the violations, all of the uh, actions, and the uh, by and large in Europe, not all. I think you, uh, the British and others have been critical, but th- there are no sanctions applied, and the United States, you know, if countries have to choose between doing business with Iran and doing business with the United States, believe me, it's an easy choice. Yeah, I would think so. The Israeli ambassador returning to Egypt means the security threats are now over in Egypt. Things are much calmer. I would say that they're that they're calmer. It's not over, and he he went with a team of uh, security people. I think it's symbolically important. There were a lot of people urging the return so that you, you show that the Egyptian is a relationship is as strong as it is on the ground in, in, in the Sinai and the cooperation along the borders and their uh, work together in uh, other areas. The, the, um, 
you know, the fact that, that the United States cut a couple hundred million dollars off of the aid to Egypt, which I think everybody acknowledges now was certainly poor timing and not good judgment when the country is fighting against the terrorists from outside and inside. Uh, and hopefully that will be restored and the president called President Sisi and I think try to put everything back on track. Interesting. And the, um, the State Department, you, you posted this in, in the Daily Alert, is filling an anti-Semitism envoy post. That's a, a position that's already existed, or this is brand new? No, this is a position that's existed, I think, for more than a dozen years, and it was uh, the person left who, who had it under Obama. And now they, he, he said that he was reviewing them. He, he, it's not just the special envoy anti-Semitism. I think there are a couple dozen positions, and they um, uh, decided to, to, he announced that he is going to fill at this post and some of the others on Holocaust resources, et cetera. Uh, but many that are not specifically Jewish, including the um, religious freedom abroad, which I think uh, Governor Brownback, who's visiting here, is, uh, has been already announced as the uh, ambassador, special envoy for uh, religious freedom. So th- the decision is to knock off a few, uh, to close a few offices, to merge a few others, and then to appoint people for these jobs. And there are many candidates, I understand, for it. But um, I think it's it's an important message, this time especially, when we have so many people, uh, you know, so many uh, incidents of anti-Semitism. And um, this sends a message of America's sustained commitment to fight it at home and abroad. There's an indication, by the way, that there's uh, further negotiations with the Netanyahu government regarding the Israeli embassy move uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So my question is: Is it uh, is it negotiations with the prime minister to uh, uh, to con- to convince him that the embassy should be moved, or is it negotiations with the prime minister to convince the president of the United States that the embassy should be moved? You have to ask him that, but I think <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I don't know if negotiations is the right word. My sense is that it's discussion that the issue came up in the talks. It's certainly not the central issue. Um, I think the question is not that nobody disagrees about wanting to move it. The question is how to do it. And um, I think that that is the nature uh, of the discussion. We're not going to move the building from Tel Aviv now. That's going to take a long time to do. Uh, as I said you know, all along from the beginning, that we have to do it smart. We should do it, but it should be done smart, which means not to arouse unnecessary reaction. We saw it when the president went to the Kotel, did something that I think that was equally dramatic uh, by declaring the Kotel a Jewish site and praying there and, um, and most demonstrative act. And there was no Arab demonstration. There was no Arab re- reaction to it. So we just have to sometimes do things, not talk so much, and do it smart. And that means putting up a plaque, doing something else that just establishes the principle and later can worry about uh, moving uh, facilities. And I don't know if they can even do all of that in Jerusalem that they do in the big building in Tel Aviv. Oh, I get all that. I only brought it up because I I continue to be completely uh, curious about whether it's whether how possible it is the prime minister himself is holding things up, but whatever, I'm not going to put you on the spot. No, 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 that's not the prime minister. And, you know, every, this, 
I know, but the rumor too, mills but, in both but, countries, but, but, you know, blame everybody but for too everything. Many, but too many responsible people say it. Too many people who who who, who know something about his administration always say it. That's why that's why I keep thinking. Well, there, are, there may be some truth to, to some of these things, but we see how much, you know, he talks all the time now about fake news in, in Israel, and there's obviously validity that the media he buys. We see it in, in the United States as well. Uh, on left and the right, and the um, you know the reports here that when Mr. Greenblatt uh, you know went to the visit the tunnels and called on them you know to build not to build tunnels build hospitals it won't get coverage in the United States or or the Ambassador Freeman spoke uh, gave a, a broad briefing about the United States and Israel having common goals in Syria and understandings and that the relationship is so strong uh, between the two leaders uh, the, you know the positive stories and then. Uh, there may have been some uh, decision on the part of the, of the government of Israel not to push at a particular time. But in the beginning, the problem was that everybody talked so much about it that it started getting a reaction. And instead of, you know, quietly doing it and c- accomplishing the end, and in Israel often, you know, ministers and others feel the need always to get to the press and to be the first to say something about everything. All right, I hear that. Would you agree, and you can tell me I'm crazy, but would you agree that the uh, the Chinese and Japanese reaction to North Korean missile activity is a little too quiet? Or you wouldn't say that. You'd say that their, that their reaction is, is, is relatively strong and impressive. Well, the Japanese reaction is, is strong, and they are apoplectic about North Korea generally, let alone a nuclear North Korea. The Chinese are the ones who have the most clout. They have the most loose. They have their 90% of the... I think imports of of North Korea are more are Chinese. China is is concerned about a, a collapse of the system there in North Korea because that means millions of refugees flowing across their border again. Uh, they also want to assert their dominance in the region and not have other parties come in and and uh, play important roles. So it's, there are a lot of uh, considerations that go into how you should respond, and and we have to have a game plan. If we decide to take uh, further action, which may well be called for, but we have to remember North Korea is not a, a great power. And if the Russians and Chinese would really cooperate, I think that we could certainly address it. The danger to of an attack on South Korea taking many lives, on, on Guam, on Japan, I mean, those are things that you have to take into account. But America has the firepower. We have the ability to, to take out the regime. The question is, you know, what is the best strategy? What is most effective? How big a threat really is it? Uh, I'm afraid that it's a diversion from some of the other threats that get much less attention, although people are beginning to discover the Iranian designs to control the region, the hegemony, and Turkey's uh, designs. But they go as far as Asia. They go into to, to Africa. They go into South America. And there doesn't seem to be the concern about the, the growing network of, of uh, presence the basis and others of both countries and and they're to destabilize the region because they're trying to assert their control, their caliphate, their um, uh, message in in all of these parts of the world and to, to be in a position to dictate uh, outcomes. Was it a an active missile week for uh, North Korea? Was it since we last spoke last Friday? Have there well, been... supposedly there were there were those uh, uh, two launches this past week, but. It's not clear um, because the pictures are, are put out. There. We monitor obviously all of the launches, 
that uh, took place. I think there was one that was a 1,500-kilometer uh, missile launch. But the um, you know the, there are a lot of questions about the accuracy, the guidance systems. I'm not a technician and we're uh, engineers, so uh, I don't know all of the requirements and particulars. But certainly, they um, you know they're still developing them. They're extending the range all the time, and they're making them uh, nuclear warhead capable. Uh, the PA, we know about the, I mean, we've said this many times, about the uh, failed leadership of Mahmoud Abbas. Any update regarding the uh, PA and its supposed upcoming elections? Um, anybody who would bet on an election in the PA, I think, has to have their head examined. What we've seen is, number one, Abbas continuing to play the game uh, of old, and that is to, to always play Brinklandship, to put shifting owners to Israel. He is doing nothing to stop the funding of the terrorists, the money that is going to them, and, and defies both the Congress, the Euro, even some European countries, certainly the United States, about uh, rewarding terrorists. And in fact, we know that, that uh, the summer camps, the PA summer camps with 120,000 children with money from the EU and UN and elsewhere, uh, did military training, glorifying the martyrs. Uh, even a camp for Israeli Arabs, a summer camp, uh, honored the, the uh, quote, martyrs, these obviously the terrorists, and they, they marched you know, saying with spirit and blood we will redeem Palestine, and they then, then went to visit the families of terrorists. <coughs> so the glorification of terror continues, the incitement continues, uh, and we see very little being done on the ground. The frustration amongst the people grows. The situation in Gaza has not clarified. We haven't seen a, a takeover by Tahlan and the call by um, uh, Mr. Greenblatt for, for rightly that um, the PA should be in control of Gaza, but it doesn't look like, like they have the capacity to do that anytime soon. Unbelievable. Um, any other good news you could tell us before we wrap things up? What else can you tell us that's on the positive side in the Holy Land that you've discovered? You still there? <laughs> oh, there you are. There you are. Any positive developments? Anything inspiring you could share with us? Well, what we what we have seen is is um, the in, in, increasing Turkish crackdown on the people on the, within the countries. The Palestinian crackdown on their judiciary, by the way, and exercising more and more uh, 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 control. But if you notice that the uh, security guards who came with Erdogan and who worked for the Turkish embassy uh, were indicted and for for um, the violence against protesters when President Erdogan was here on May 16th, and the grand jury uh, brought charges. They did it outside of the home of the the, uh, the demonstration was outside the home of the Turkish ambassador when President Erdogan went to visit there. Uh, many people did not think that that would actually take place. So that's a, I mean, it's a domestic issue in a sense, but obviously has uh, international implications, international uh, significance. I think that the, you know, that we, we have seen um, the French proposal now, and my concern is that they will try to move the focus away from Iranian compliance at this point to the broader issues of, you know, Iran and 
how you integrate Iran and how you build a long-term relationship and make them responsible citizens. You are not going to make them responsible citizens. It's a contradiction in terms to, to uh, you know, what they are about. So the, the important thing now is to hold their feet to the fire, to keep pressing, to continue to, to add sanctions that have meaningful impact on the oil sector, on the banking sectors, and most of all now, that we have to look at the future of Syria, that it not become a purely Iranian base of operation, that we support the elements in Iraq against Iran, and, um, you know, we have a Kurdish uh, election coming, referendum coming up very soon, September 25th, I think. These are all going to be critical uh, matters. And then the U.N. General Assembly uh, begins on September 18th. Netanyahu will be speaking the opening day so we can get back for, to, for Rosh Hashanah to, to Israel. And I mention it because of, you know, all next week, so we're going to be seeing an mm-hmm. influx of many uh, world leaders coming here. And it'll be interesting to see whether there's a tripartite meeting of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Abbas, and President Trump, or will they each just come and do their own thing? Uh, President Trump doesn't want to stay in New York long, and they are cutting back the usual entourage that comes uh, to the United Nations, uh, in part to play down the significance, and in part to to, uh, show that, that to be more efficient and effective. And we have to say that Nikki Haley this week again demonstrated very strong leadership in addressing uh, Iran and uh, the events in Lebanon. Why do you think the president doesn't uh, uh, come out with stronger statements regarding the payments that PA leadership gives to the terrorist families? Wouldn't you think that this would be such an easy issue for Washington to take on and really pressure Abbas? It's like it's, it's a no-brainer. Well, I do think the president has, he did speak about it. He spoke about it early on, and he, members of Congress from both parties are speaking about it. There's almost unanimous, unanimous consent about it in, in the Congress uh, across the, the aisles. Uh, I, I don't think that this time that on that issue can fault the, the administration's uh, outspokenness. They have. They have uh, threatened to cut off the funds. Uh, you know, there are implications of that, and even some Israelis uh, have raised concerns about what it would mean, but it just can't continue. We cannot just allow this uh, horrendous practice that doesn't go on anywhere else in the world that we know of, where the more you kill, the more you're rewarded by a government with using, utilizing all the foreign funds for this purpose. So hopefully that is something where we will see uh, uh, the pressure brought in real change. And beyond that, Abbas has no successor. There's no, uh, you know, nobody who's emerging as a potential leader. So, you know, he just keeps moseying along in in the 11th year of his four-year term. Talk about a free ride, huh? Amazing. Yeah, well, that's not free for the Palestinian people, and it's not free for the Jewish people, the Israeli people. It's, uh, and, and all the time, vital interests are being lost instead of, going into economic development programs, real changes, cooperating on water, on electricity, on so many other things that could improve the quality of life. And, and I do believe that that's the direction in which uh, they're going to move the talks because a grand deal design is not going to be uh, coming into effect now. It, 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 using incremental steps of economic development, other things that build confidence, I think is the way to go. All right, next week, Houston, uh, two weeks from today, the 15th, we'll reconvene. Enjoy Jerusalem and have a Shabbat Shalom. 
Shabbat Shalom to you and to everyone. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update every single Friday here at JMN. The exception next week, of course, as we mentioned, will be in Houston, Jewish Unity Initiative traveling uh, with the OU to Houston, Texas, and um, hoping to uh, inspire the world to focus on our brothers and sisters down in that region.